Today's episode is brought to you by the support of Ferno Grills. What's up, everybody? I am podcast host and restaurateur Brad Barmore. I have had the opportunity to cook on a lot of things, guys. Kettle grills, offset smokers, pellet grills, open pits, reverse flows, gravity smokers, cabinets, ugly drums. My Ferno is hands down the best grill I have ever cooked on. You know, with gas grills, most folks get caught up in the BTUs, but it's really how well you can control and hold the heat that matters. And Ferno grills happen to be a revolution in gas grilling and the ultimate cooking machine for the backyard cook, as they are designed and engineered with firewheel technology for the ultimate in precision heat control. Ferno is the only gas grill with height adjustable burners, custom cast iron grates, and a fully insulated hood so you can sear without burning or cook slow and low to perfection. I've done steaks, burgers, chops, veggies, oysters, salmon, briskets, chicken, pork butts, tri-tips. Yeah, I cook them all in the Ferno, and it has impressed me every time. Plus, it looks modern and really sleek in the backyard. It is unlike any grill I've seen out there. Project Smoke, Steve Reichlin, Forbes Magazine, AspiringGentleman.com are all raving about what the Ferno grills are doing to change the grilling game. Check them out on Instagram, at Ferno Grills, or for even more information, including recipes and financing options, head to www.fernogrills.com. Hey everybody, this is Ben from the Sports Meets Beer Podcast. Just want to do a quick introduction to this episode. Number one, thank you very much for clicking on it. I hope you enjoy this. It's a interesting conversation I'm having with a friend of mine, a friend of the show, Mr. Jeremy Grainert, who works for Bear Republic Brewing Company. Uh, I've known Jeremy for a lot of years, uh, as you can hear from the conversation we have uh, via Zoom, that uh, we have a lot of history uh, working with each other. Um, as a distributor, as a supplier, and all those things. Uh, we also uh, still have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all Sports Meets Beer, M-E-A-T-S, just like the show title. Please check it out. That's the best way we know that you are uh, listening and subscribing, and always feel free to email email us at sportsmeetsbeer at gmail.com. Um, really trying hard to put out new content regularly. It's tough to do in this COVID time. Brad's working his tail off, you know, trying to keep his restaurants going with, uh, you know, here in California, we have no indoor dining and uh, patio only, and it has to be spaced and it's a nightmare for him, nightmare for his business partner and just overall challenging stuff. So him and I are trying to do that. I'm obviously still working, doing other things, but it's really hard to get us to sit down face to face. So we're going to try to put out as much content as we can. Sometimes it'll be together, sometimes it'll be separate, but we really want to keep this going because we really have really enjoyed ourselves, and we want to keep this uh, this train moving. So uh, without any further ado, again, Jeremy from Beer Republic Brewing Company, Sports Meets Beer. we got some other awesome content coming up soon. Check it out. Give it a listen. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and also tell your friends so that they can subscribe as well. Here we go. Uh, so your story is really intriguing to me and I've got you and a couple of the friends in the beer business. Uh, but I like your story because, you know, you started with new Belgium transitioned to Lagunitas and then Lagunitas to bear. And so you were on, you were the prep, you know, the, the precipice before these brands became much larger than they really were. Obviously Lagunitas is the biggest one, but you know, new Belgium was on its way up. And then you left there to go to this young aspiring brewery called Lagunitas and then transfer over to a brewery that's been established for a long time, but doesn't have the same splash and ripple in bear. And so I kind of just wanted to obviously talk about how you started in the business uh, and then your decisions to, to navigate from Colorado to California and then from all the businesses. I just think it's really interesting, especially because of the brand recognition with all three. Yeah, it's, it's, 
it's sort of funny. I was thinking about it a little bit today and you, you just start thinking about like the things that one's able to experience and the things people have seen. And uh, I question how I'm still alive sometimes <laughs> this journey, you know, how my, uh, I still have a functioning liver, which is good, but you know, I, I think, well, I guess to jump in, um, you know, Gosh, way back in when I was going to college at CSU in Fort Collins, Colorado, I was working at a little family-owned liquor store, and it was the the first liquor store after Prohibition in Fort Collins, nice. and it's the only one within city limits. You know that was allowed for a while, and love the people there. Rich, Rich and Todd are still there; they still own it. Treated me like a son, and you know I, it was great because I was going to school in the in the afternoons into early evenings so they would create hours for me from like 8 a.m till noon and then i'd go to class go get some food and then i could close up the shop because i always had to pay for all my stuff i didn't do like i didn't unfortunately my parents weren't rich so they didn't pay for all my stuff and i tried not to take too many loans you know and so working with them, I got to being there in the mornings. I saw all of the distributor bros, all of the breweries that came in to sell. And so I made friends with like the, the New Belgium people, the Odell's brewing people, the left-hand brewing people, and then like the Miller Coors distributor, the Budweiser distributor, and just learned a lot about, you know, how beer works at retail and mm-hmm. you know, to sell it. So I, I, I caught on with a with a, a family-owned Miller Coors distributor called High Country Beverage. And I was driving a, you know, a 20-bay truck, uh, selling all the on-premise uh, bars and accounts like off of the truck. And then all of the off-premise, the liquor stores was pre-sold. And I did that for about a year, year and a half. Hardest job I ever had. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah, when you're emptying 12 to 1300 cases of beer a day and kegs and stuff, it just beats you up. And at plus, that- the, the driver sells the driver sell aspect is an animal that you know in California yeah. mainly has not done, but it's it's, it's basically hard. extinct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough, and it's like you know everyone knows when you're a sales rep, you can go in and schmooze for 20, 30 minutes, and you're on the truck. You're like, hey, what do you need? Yeah, I need to get. I, I need to get going to the next stop. Yeah, I have like twenty more stops today. I love you, but see you soon. <laughs> but um, so I did that for a while, and I learned a lot about you know organizing like my routes, learning who the buyers were at each place, and who the the decision makers were, and and I, one of the things I learned is like how to not be shy. I was a pretty shy person, you know, back mm-hmm. then. And then when you're having to ask people to give you money for something. You know, whether it's like yeah. a moose head or, you know, a, a, a blue moon or a Zima <laughs> you know, placement, something like that. Uh, you oh, know, God. Moose you really... <laughs> I think I'd rather drink a Zima before a moose head. Yeah, you might want to. <laughs> you might want to. But, uh, but, you know, so that really gives you confidence as a, as a young person. And so I, I met the New Belgium people when I was still at that liquor store and I applied for a job, but they said I didn't have enough experience. And so when I got experience with the distributorship, uh, the same job opened up at New Belgium and I applied and thankfully they remembered me. And first thing they said in the interview was like, well, I can't tell you, you don't have the experience now because you went and got it. So, you know, long story short, I got the role and 
you know, join New Belgium as a, they self-distribute in the town of Fort Collins, like a lot of craft brewers do out here in California. Um, so I was a backup route driver and a line cleaner for New Belgium for a while. And, you know, just sort of learned, I went to draft school, learned how draft equipment works and refrigerators work and the, you know, all the science behind that. And then, you know, was cleaning lines. Eventually I got my own route, which I was selling off of the truck again. And then eventually they asked me to oversee the department, which was really cool. I was like a 26 or 27 year old kid, you know. I'm going to ask you how long that, how long that timeline was from when you were hired to when you got that, that title of overseeing that department. Man, Ben, that was a long time ago, but I want to say it was about a year, year and a half, maybe. That's about the strides. I mean, when I was distributor level, that's about what I'd put in, you know, it'd be a year to 18 months. And then yeah. I would find myself in the kind of that next position up and the next, yeah. uh, a striving for the next thing. So, yeah. And I think people, you know, people, when you work with a small group of people, it's like, you know, you take things on that you don't necessarily expect to get paid for or even, right. you know, supported for in any other way, but just besides, you know, and, and so as I was learning that, yeah, I took over the department for, it was probably only for like seven months that I took over the department. And then they asked me to go work in Denver as a beer ranger, which is like a market manager and, you know, yeah. other terms. And so did that. And I worked, I worked in what they called the, uh, the, the beer team down South. And in Colorado at that time, you couldn't go to Safeway and buy craft beer. You had to go to a liquor store and, you know, and they couldn't, you know, it's just different weird laws, you know, three. It's, it's a lot like, like uh, that. it's same thing as Utah essentially, right. Where you basically have to go to a state operated liquor store to purchase. It, it wasn't as strict as Utah because the liquor stores were independently owned. So it wasn't the state, but okay. they just had like, you know, if you owned multiple licenses, like a Safeway, you can only sell real beer in one of them. So I think they were, it was just like an anti-competition type thing. Gotcha. And so I handled the, all of the larger liquor stores in Denver, which basically sold 80% of the off-premise in Colorado. And wow. Yeah, pretty nuts. You know, it's, that's where I learned the 80-20 rule, you know, like 20%, <laughs> sell the 80%, right? And so running with that for, I would probably say another six or seven months, you know, I was staying really busy with that because we're selling so much volume at that time. Our growth as a brewery was skyrocketing at this time. And at that point, how many states were was New Belgium in? Because they weren't quite in California yet, obviously. Yeah, we were probably in probably like the mountain states and maybe some of the plains like Kansas and Missouri, yeah. Nebraska and North New Mexico, Texas, and then I want to say we launched California in probably 2004 is when New Belgium went into California. And is that long ago? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It makes, me, it makes us both old. <laughs> but, um, but so when, when New Belgium launched in California, you know, I was still doing the beer ranger thing in Denver. My boss was always super supportive of me, he encouraged me learning. He encouraged me stubbing my toes, but he always had confidence. Right. And, so, which Joe Menetry, I love that guy to death, but he asked me one day and I didn't even think anything of it. If there was anywhere you can move, where would you go? 
what interests you? And, and Kate and I had just, my wife, Kate and I had just gotten back from one of my best friend's weddings up here in Sonoma County. And so it said, well, we really love the Bay Area and, you know, Sonoma Marins in particular. So I would probably say that. And then literally two, three weeks later, they asked me if I wanted to come out and, and work on the North Coast of California. So wow. it was pretty crazy. We, we, we had a two-year-old child, right? And Who's now in college, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. At CSU. Go Rams. Um, <laughs> but it was just pretty wild. You know, he asked the question a few weeks later. They asked if I wanted to go. So in 2005, like right at the start of 2005, um, we moved to, to Petaluma, where I am today. So it was great, you know. And so what I did in, Pet, in for New Belgium in California is I just sort of, I was a beer ranger, again, market manager type dude. And I oversaw like the the distributors from the Golden Gate Bridge, the north part of the bridge, to the Oregon border, over to the I five corridor going down. And so it was like Mesa, the old yeah classic Mesa beverage. Um, at the time, it was a DBI beverage in Ukiah slash Angel, and then they merged. But North Coast Mercantile up in a humble Reading distributing, you know. Uh, DBI Napa stuff like that. So yeah, that business for I, I, I guess 2000 till 2009. As I started talking about, they asked me again, "Hey, if you could move anywhere, <laughs> New Belgium did. Where would you want to go?" And and they knew I had family in the Midwest, and so they offered me a position in Wisconsin, and I entertained it very thoroughly and almost to the point where I just felt that if since I didn't accept the role because I, my family was not in a point, they, they didn't want to go to Wisconsin. No offense. Yeah. Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> I hope I wouldn't want to go to Wisconsin. Yeah, either. You're right. It gets cold as hell there, man. <laughs> I got to go there for, so to interrupt your story, I got to go to Wisconsin for a five or four day training class. Nice. For Perl- Cause Perlix, you know, made in, in, uh, in I'm sorry, it was Milwaukee, not Wisconsin, but still bitter cold. Yeah, I got there and it was uh, it was something like 20 below. Uh-huh. And I remember I remember walking outside and I, you know, jacket, I'm bundled up and just the cold, even all that just t- literally took the air out of my lungs. Yep. And I'm like, I love visiting the snow, but I don't, wouldn't want to live in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough thing. You, you get used to it, you know, growing up in the Midwest. Like, oh, I'm sure you would. But when it gets still... to be like when it's that cold, when it's below zero, when it's it feels like it's summer. So you can do <laughs> to it but i don't need oh, to use that again to be honest right west i'll go visit in the summer but um yeah but the rate we're going with uh power outages and, and fires yeah. and everything else it's we're starting to entertain the idea of yeah. moving out of california it's scary isn't it it really it's is so weird i never thought i would consider it and our youngest is a freshman in high school right now and after high school like we don't you know we have a house that has two rooms for the kids, the yard, you know, all the classic American dream. But after the youngest one is out, it's like, do we need this? You know, right. and is there something we could do? Downsize little, to something way right? smaller. Yeah. Somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, go pay cash for it. Maybe yeah, if you exactly. sell the house, right. You know, so exactly. we'll see, but, but yeah. So, Oh yeah. I was, I was in Wisconsin. So you, yeah, you just, you declined the job in Wisconsin to stay yep. in California. 
and and right about then I started feeling the urge to I felt like I was sort of hit my ceiling in California with New Belgium. Mm-hmm. A lot of talented people on our team and uh, just I wanted to stay in California, but I just I couldn't grow anymore. What was your so real quick about that that New Belgium period in your in your life coming from you know the 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 backyard of the brewery in Fort Collins in Denver in Colorado and then going coming out to California and you what was the you know obviously trying to trend to the, the whole thing about the you know the just the vibe and feel what was your favorite part about New Belgium and then what was the hardest thing about bringing it into California my favorite thing about New Belgium and I know this would sound easy it was the people the people were incredible you know the the from the brewmaster peter buchart to the founders kim and jeff and then like i had mentioned earlier joe my my mentor there was this like everything was there to improve not only the business but the people involved in it and it was almost like going to college again Mm -hmm. like the the education I got on sales technique and, and breaking down data and just learning the business was top notch. Like I, I, you know, we did our very best at Lagunitas to really, well, to teach our people really well and encourage them to grow. But what New Belgium did at that time, I, I don't know if any brewer will do again, to be honest, because everything was open book. Every yeah. dollar that was made, every dollar spent, it was available for every employee to see. So there is literally, and I say this with no ill will towards it, there's no bullshitting. So Kim yeah. sit up, uh, the CEO couldn't stand in front of this, say one thing, but really allude to doing something else. There was, it was obvious if, if what Kim said she was going to do and didn't do it, we would all know. Do you think that's because it was a employee owned company and that was part of that transparency or do you feel like it was just the culture that was already present in the time? I think it was both. I think the culture that Kim and Jeff started when they were really young in the brewing world, they, they realized that they couldn't do everything themselves. So they really needed to form this bond, this trust and bond with their employees where they could step away and know that the brewery was going to function for a day or two, you know, cause they were young parents when they started the brewery. So they had, they had a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. What a great idea. Hey, we got young kids. Let's start a business. Yeah. In our basement, let's start yeah. a brewery in our basement. <laughs> you know? but, but I do think that, you know, the, the training that new Belgium offers, and I bet you today it's still just as good. You know, they, they, they invest so much money in their people and it's like so lucky to be a part of it. And I also think a lot of a lot of businesses are hesitant now to offer mm-hmm. the training and do that because they so know there's people. yeah there's no loyalty. I mean, I can, you yep. know at the distributor level, you know, for the longest time we had a, our our ops guy would be able to, to train. You'd be able to sign off your CDL instead of going to the DMV and doing your test. He'd be able to do it there. And I can't tell you he so many guys he brought in and signed them off, signed them off, and six months later they're going to Coke, they're going to Pepsi, they're going other places yeah. to chase chase a couple more dollars, and, and it's it's hard work too. Yep. People think the beer business for on the operation side is hell delivering oh. every day up at the early hours, your body breaking down. I mean, it is. It kills tough. you. Yep. I can't think. I mean, I, I, you know, I did construction for years and I tell you what beer, the beer delivery side of it, keg delivery, especially construction's nothing compared to that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hell there is accounts in downtown Fort Collins where 
I was a little kid then. I didn't have my my New Belgium 15 and my Lagunitas 15 and my Barry Public 15 on at that time. <laughs> but, you know, I had a double stack, stack half barrels on my dolly. And I'm old Chicago. I, if you go to Fort Collins, don't drink draft beer there because you're hurting beer delivery guys. No offense, old Chicago, but <laughs> longest steps in the world. And I would have to bring like 18 to her stop twice a week to that place because they sold so much beer. Holy shit. Like hold on to the wheeler and just get drugged down the steps, you know, just try and keep it up and not ride it out. Yeah. (laughs) And then then on top of that, delivering in the snow, like forget it, Uh forget like rain, you know, rain and heat and all those things. Yeah. Snow's a whole different level. Yep. And it's real fun. My hip hurts to this day from my, my dolly from my toe, you know, to pull the, to this day, it sometimes, sometimes comes out. And I know it's exactly from that. So tell me, tell me you don't laugh when you look when you in a hardware store and you see there's always they're like heavy duty hand truck and it's the mm-hmm. big old knobby tires and you're like, oh, yeah, fuck <laughs> you. that's not doing anything. <laughs> you can't move any beer with that thing. <laughs> oh man, I, it's so many times like help people move the fridge. You just scoop underneath it and go with a fridge yeah. and go, and they're like, how do you do that? Don't worry. <laughs> I'm a professional. <laughs> yep. Well, so then, but, so now you're out in California. You are, you feel like you've hit your ceiling. And I had this, you and I had had many conversations. I, I felt like I had hit ceilings at different points of my career, my 20 year career yeah. at Mesa. But that's a, that's a shitty feeling. You know, when you are giving it your all and you're really trying to, to be the best employee you can be. And all you want to do is get a little bit more responsibility, a little bit more of everything. And, and you just, it's not there. It's not there. And you, you know, there are people who are, you know, bless them, the people that want to do that job, the same job day in and day out. And they want to, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, warehouse guy or delivery driver or whatever, that's how they're wired. And that's great. That's yeah. not how I'm wired. That's not how you're wired. And it's, it's hard to sit there and look at it and go, man, I've, I got so many ideas and I go and do this. And it's just, then you hit also hit that point of that, Hey, how come every, you know, every year to 18 months, I'm getting these promotions, I'm doing this stuff. And then all of a sudden it stops and you're like, well, shit, what's next? It's, it's, yeah. You feel like you're doing something wrong too. Yeah. And it's, it's not necessarily that it's just, we had a good team in California and it's like, they weren't going anywhere. So. Right. I'm going to do, I'm I'm not going to grow much, but you know, I, I think like right about 2009, maybe halfway through, I remember uh, Pat Mace from Lagunitas called me up and he's like, Hey, we got this new guy. Hey bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we got this new guy, this new COO, his name's Todd. And I think you should come meet him, dude. And I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, what do you want me to meet about? And so it was sort of funny. He was like, all right, we're going to go to this Pinky's pizza here in Petaluma. Todd's going to be there. Our team's going to be there. I want you to just come and meet him. And so I'm like, Okay. And I didn't really know what Pat wanted. And so it was so funny. I show up to Pinky's Pizza and there's Tony Amaral, who was running Mesa Beverage at the time. Yeah. At this meeting with Lagunitas with our distributor partner who's like, what the hell are you doing here, man? <laughs> you know, so it's, yeah. I don't really know. He's like, uh huh, sure. So from that moment, he's like, he thought I was searching for a job. But it turns out, you know, Pat called me up and he was like, we have this new guy. I think he would fit in with his structure and his, you know, his thoughts. And so I talked with Todd that night and 
just shared experience level a little bit and nothing really happened. You know, we had a couple of beers, we got to know each other and then, all right, I'll talk to you soon. And I don't hear from Pat or Lagunitas for like six months. And it was sort of funny that the next time, the next time I heard from them, it was, I got a call from Ron Lindenbush, which I was in an account and I saw Ron's number on the phone, Ron's legendary Lagunitas. Yeah. Oh man, sure he's on, he's on my list. He's on my list. Okay, people good. I want to sit down with, but I got to <laughs> stay overnight. Cause there's no way I'm going to walk out. Oh overnight. yeah. There's, I won't yeah, be able to walk. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> but it was funny because Ron called me and I was in an account. I couldn't pick up. Well, okay. I'll call Ron when I get back. So I go after I'm done with the account visit, I go out, Pat calls me. I'm like, Oh, Hey Pat, what's up dude. And so he, Pat basically called and said, Hey, I'm resigning from Lagunitas because I'm going to go become a pickle farmer and make, <laughs> you know off of his uh, food truck concept yeah. and then so like that next week I went in and talked to Todd again and you know we had a more serious talk about like interest level and roles and how he wanted to sort of restructure the, the sales group at Lagunitas a little bit and so yeah I guess in in February of 2010 is when I started at Lagunitas. And originally I started as a market manager for them. And I was covering the, the North Bay from the 80 corridor to Reno, all the way up to Oregon and San Francisco. And then slowly I was assigned like San Jose and slowly I was assigned all of Northern California and you know, but we were just a, when I was talking about switching companies with my wife, New Belgium was just about 900,000 barrels of beer output a year. Yeah. Lagunitas was like 92,000. And so I told Kate, I was like, I, I think that this is a good place for us to go because this could be a lifetime job. You know, it's a small brewery in scale compared to where yeah. The expectations aren't there to get to a million barrels. And I think we're going to be a, a California brewer and we can just focus on making fun beer with fun people. And man, did we fuck that one up? We, we grew really quick. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think the difference is, you know, right, right at that point of your decision making is when New Belgium had decided like they needed to do rampant growth and mm -hmm. come out with more beer and more innovation and a lot of stuff they were doing and for the record they were far ahead of the uh, can curve than everyone else oh yeah they were one of the yeah. first craft breweries to do cans mm -hmm. um but i think at that point that like you said like that was the point that they had made a commitment and it wasn't about i don't care how you get the distribution you get it and i don't care what it is it became a little bit more corporate <clears throat> and then unfortunately i felt bad for todd you know he was put in a position he was in a lose-lose no matter what and I, my brief interactions with him at Lagunitas, but it was one of those things where, you know, I felt like he was hired to be a certain guy and to bring more corporate structure into a very non-corporate atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, and so for him, you know, I, I, God, and that's, I mean, I know that's why Pat left him and Todd did not, we mm -hmm. they butted heads and it was, yep. you know, old school versus new school and all this shit. But then you go yeah, out of the frying pan into the fryer with, you know, from, uh, you know, essentially a small scale to a large, now you're back to small and you are, I mean, at that point when you were there, 
I remember when Little Something was the hottest fucking thing. I mean, it was, it was, I'll be honest, it was a bigger demand than Pliny is today. Yeah. And we wouldn't even let you guys sell it. We're like, no, well, that was, we can't have any draft. <laughs> well, we had some and we had all the, okay, these accounts who've been buying it, get it. And they yep. get one keg a week and this and this. And it was just this phenomenon that had zero, there was no story behind it. There was no, it was just a, was a favorite beer of people. And it was all the people who were going to the brewery and having these fun experiences who were then buying kegs for themselves and then, you know, getting just wrecked at their house and then going out <laughs> and seeing it out and about. And it was, became this, that's when really the two handle draft threat was a thing. Like everything before, you know, you'd go to a typical like corporate restaurant and there'd be one of everything except for like Bud Miller Coors. Yeah. But then yeah. you'd go to these, some bars, pizza place or whatever, and you'd rarely have two of the same brands. And I want to say Lagunitas effectively created that two different styles where you had that, you know, the IPA showcase, especially on the West Coast, IPA showcase. And then you, a second punch with the little something, something was amazing. And then like I said, it was, we couldn't even sell it. We couldn't get a new customers. We couldn't do anything. <laughs> we couldn't even, we had, all the customers we did have, if they went through two kegs, sorry, you're out of luck, but don't worry, the events team has uh, plenty of kegs to we'll sell be giving events. away for free down the street don't worry oh we had those covers <laughs> i was so mad for so many years oh uh, that's for another podcast so yeah. so your roles at Lagunitas evolved pretty much the same way they did at new belgium very quickly and very rapidly yeah and the, the difference was at Lagunitas. you brought up todd and todd was todd is one of my mentors that i, I will always appreciate and so i know like his personality didn't always fit the old school heads at Lagunitas, but I do think that without Todd, Lagunitas would not be what it is today. Of like course. structure and his way to analyze data and really pinpoint like very focused strategy when it comes to selling, help focused strategy when it comes to brewing and ingredients control and stuff. It's just the guys, probably the smartest person I've ever worked with to be frank he's yeah like sometimes i would just like and i just like i lost track of this about 20 minutes ago how do i stop it you know but and i say that with love because todd is awesome but yeah so you know at at that point in my new belgium career i was sort of in that corporate way because we were running things as a corporation at new belgium when we were ramping up because we had to yeah so when I joined Lagunitas, it, it made sense because it, and this is before Greg Meredith joined. And so I was sort of like Todd's guy, right? And so one of my first assignments was to help create a CRM for the brewery. And, you know, myself and Jason Gregory, the IT, uh, audio visual guy, he'll love that when he hears it. But um, the IT. <laughs> that was our first project together and we were assigned with going to visit like companies like Salesforce and all these like little boutique CRM companies to create a CRM so our team wouldn't have to do Excel spreadsheets to recap their work share share data live yada yada and so we started that project and all of the like Salesforce was so expensive that we just didn't justify it and then after like a month of going through Salesforce and all these different providers, Jason finally coughs up that he can write code. And he was like, I think I could just write what we want. And, but I don't, how should we do that? And I'm like, 
All right, we're just gonna go visit Todd right now. And we're gonna tell Todd, you're gonna write the code and we're gonna design our own CRM. And so that's the beauty of Lagunitas and Todd because we went in, sat with them, and Todd, you had to pencil in like 10 minutes at a time to get his focus. Yeah. Minutes. We went in, told him the cost breakdown of all the CRM providers. We told him what we think we need and what those providers can't give to us. And then Jason said, I can write code. And then before you know it, we started designing our own CRM. And I, I it was so crazy because we, we, we rolled it out. And then it was the only time I think I'll ever have to do this. I had to sign a document as a, as a, an inventor, you know, because they, they wow. were paying the CRM. So it was sort of funny. And so, and Tony still owes me a dollar because on that contract, it said I was going to be compensated $1 for my, my your contribution. Yeah. <laughs> if I receive Tony, it's a, Hey dude, where's my buck? <laughs> but but yeah, well, so, judging the last time that I heard you talk to Tony, <laughs> that's probably not happening. <laughs> Who knows? Like, it, Tony is many things. And I think that, you know, the one thing I know that he is very passionate, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, me, I'm pretty passionate too. And of course. It's, things can be not understood clearly. I, I have a feeling someday we'll have a, a beer together and we'll talk. And I hope that it won't be mean you know what I mean? now i think especially uh you know time heals all wounds and yeah all of those feelings can be Life's too short and also yeah. too like he's he's out of it now completely so mm-hmm. you know whatever but yeah so your role so the crm which was you know as i had joined lagunitas uh, much later in life but that that crm was such a uh, a critical part of Logging is success. I mean, it not only like like you mentioned it. You know, the, the hardest thing about the beer sales is when you go out, old school beer sales. You go out for the day. You know, you hit some accounts. You do that, and you inevitably four out of five nights during the week, you're out with distributor people, with whatever pint nights. You're out doing stuff. Some of it's you know we can always you know look our wives and spouses and family members in the face and go, no, I'm working. They're mm-hmm. like, you're shit face. You're not working. It's like, no, you don't understand. I'm working. It's because some of the, my some fault. Of the, I have the best job in the world. Right. Yeah. Don't be, don't hate on me. <laughs> but like, I mean, you can go back through and talk about the old school napkin bets, you know, where yep. we come up with either an incentive or a goal or whatever. And we're in a bar, you write it on a napkin. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all those, like, you know, things and, and, and you go out and you get all this stuff done. And even if it's not necessarily hashing out a contract or hashing out a placement, it's just building the rapport with your coworkers and all that stuff. And it, that so many, so many months and in, in years of that, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, that's, and that's how you, you grow these strong bonds with, with, you know, your coworkers and with CEOs and vice presidents and all these things. And then you have these crazy incentive trips. And I was just telling the one the other day about when we were at Lagunitas, we did our first year of spring training. Do you remember uh-huh. that one? Yep. Uh-huh. I told the, the story of how Adam Johnson We never got the deposit from that house back. Well, it's because we hacked uh, <laughs> the, the oxygen machine and we fucked up the pool. And <laughs> I think um, it cha- the recliner chair inside, too. Oh, God. But I was telling how the in the shopping cart, how I got smushed into a shopping cart and then Adam rode the shopping cart. We ghostwritten it out of the store and I ended up flipping over and hurting my knee. And it's still a little twingy. But anyway. <laughs> So the time at Lagunitas, and then I, you know, when I when I came on in the sales side, you were already you were doing, like you were doing the live music venue tour. Yeah, I was probably do was that 
Yeah, because after, I want to say three years, maybe four years of my Lagunitas run, I was in sales. So I did like the regional sales manager. And then Greg came aboard. And I worked under Greg for, I think, two years of that. And Greg, ultimate, one of my best friends in the world. Love the man so much. Yeah. And, but we, and this is a funny time of Lagunitas. Like we were so overgrown in our offices that Greg and I had to, I had to share an office with the executive VP of sales and Greg can be very cranky. And I say that in a, with love. And if he's cranky, you know it the second you see him and he's usually cranky for the rest of the day. And then even if, if there's things that you had nothing to do with, you sort of feel the wrath of that sometimes. Yeah. Greg and I shared this office as like 20 square feet, <laughs> you know? And one of the things, I, again, he was one of my distributor partners, you know, is when I was with New Belgium. So one of the first people I met in California. And as like, we, I considered him such, and still do, such a good friend that I was worried that our friendship was going to be affected if I continued to work underneath him in sales. Yeah. And it was a really hard transition. There was, a, there was an opportunity on the marketing side because we had built up our sales team nationally over like three years. And now the marketing side was tasked with building up their team to support the huge sales team that we had grown. And so there's an opportunity in field marketing that I was presented. Todd actually said, hey, there's this opportunity up here. You might want to learn about it. You might not, no pressure. But anyways, I, I went and learned about it and it was intriguing, you know, because as we talked earlier, like I, I, I feel like if I'm not learning something and not contributing to new things to people, I'm not doing a good job. And so, yeah. you know, I took a chance on the marketing thing and then you know, field marketing on the West coast. And then eventually it grew into a field marketing director nationally. And then as you had mentioned, my last stop in the marketing world, I was just doing sponsorships and partnerships with rack venues, the giants, the A's, you know, sports teams and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's pretty wild that. That's a rock star position that most people have no idea. A, the pressure, B, the <laughs> yeah. money that's involved and C, like just the cash and prizes. Yeah. Part, the fun part of the job that you cannot monetize on your W-2s. No. You cannot express to people how fun it is to have tickets and to do all the, yeah. just all the shit, you know? It, it, it was, it was ridiculous. Like it, mm -hmm. look back I'm with Bear now happy with bear lots of yeah. having a great time but i look back and i was like man i was a freaking moron for leaving that job <laughs> you know? but, but you know it's like you get to experience things that are just out of this world I, like, it's, it's stuff that i tell people all the time i go this is like it's make-a-wish stuff that people uh -huh. like in their wildest fondest dreams couldn't think of how they could do this and it's like oh no how'd you get this oh i sold 20 placements of a keg and i got to go on this amazing trip yeah. in this amazing house these amazing people and everything was carte blanche now yeah. as as the time is going on i just talked to you mentioned tony Amaral earlier him and i what well, we go out and exercise uh, we get some hiking in once a week and uh -huh. uh, we talked about how the the days of the old incentive life is gone I mean, that's it's it's a thing of the past but 
you know, some of the, some of the funnest stuff. And, and also too, now, I mean, talk about role reversal. Like, you know, here I was living my best life at the distributor level and just partying, having fun. I mean, going on trips, designing my own trips where we could go and making it outlandish and fun. And then here I fast forward, you know, five years, four and a half years, and I have to come out of pocket because I have an expense at, uh, I was meeting with Columbia on-premise guys. We're just talking about installs and beer business Uh stuff and trying to like, Hey, this is how we're going to reopen restaurants with COVID. And this is the protocol you have to follow. So I bought beers, bought a little bit of snacks, $70 bill. And my accounting department lost their mind. A, it was at Hooters. <laughs> B, it was, it was alcohol and the thing. So yeah. I ended up having to eat the cost. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys, I'm writing this check out to pay it back. And I'm seething. I'm so mad. And I'm like, you guys have no fucking idea. <laughs> the shit I used to be able to get away with back in the day. Can I tell you, I, I won't use names. We had a distributor rep in the East Bay. On-premise Jedi. Yeah. What- Distributor partners, best on-premise guy I've ever worked with. When my first day at Lagunitas, Pat Mace took me there because he was giving me the tour and doing yeah. the We meet the guy. He's like, "Hey, uh, just so you know, I, I hit my, I hit, I hit the fifth handle again." And so I'm like, "And Pat's like, cool, man. We'll get you set up, man. We'll take care of you. Jeremy will take care of you the next time he's down here." It's like, cool. Yeah, what's it? We have to get him a gift card, something like that, a couple of sweatshirts get to the car and Pat's like, no, you got to buy him an ounce of weed because every five handles he gets, you get an ounce, he gets an ounce of pot. <laughs> and so I literally, my first week at Lagunitas and I had to go to our controller like, uh, Hey, uh, knocking on the door. Oh, I'm Jeremy, by the way. Nice to meet just you. Started, yeah. Just started brand new guy. Uh, I need $450 cash for, uh, the, uh, name but it was his name incentive yeah it was the, it was the joe blow incentive and the, exactly who it was shook her head with disgust and then like just opened like opened up her little vault thing handed me 450 bucks and i was on my way i had to go find weed for <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> and now you can do it with an american express card yeah exactly it's like now you can expense Jesus. but it was just sort of funny like some of the experiences because as you were alluding to that like what the the, one of the greatest i i always remember i was you know i won't say which well yeah i will ryan my friend at the giants he was i contact when i worked with the giants best like partnership dude in sports that i ever worked with he was such a good person but you know there are some perks when you're the partnership guy yeah yeah Hey, Ryan would say, Hey, when are you bringing the family down for a game? It's like, just, and so I did once and, you know, he, he said, all right, just call me when you get to the stadium, I'll meet you out front of the office. And, and, but he told me to come like three hours early. I'm like, why are we coming so early? He's like, just, just come bring the whole, it's cool. So we did call him up and walk in. He puts these like medallions around us and, so we're walking through the bowels of the stadium on a game day, you know, see Buster Posey walking by. You're like, this is freaking nuts. And my kids are a little bit smaller, but this is when they were winning World Series, you know? And oh, yeah, this is serious both stuff. Both my kids are like just eyes like saucers. Like, oh, that was Buster, you know, because everyone loves Buster. Oh, yeah. So Ryan gives us a grand tour of the stadium. 
And then he parks us on first baseline, like right behind the batting cage thing during BP. And it's just amazing. You know, you're just on the field as they're like hit taking batting practice, foul balls everywhere. And, and so it was so cool. Cause, and then Ryan left, we had our little medallion. So we were okay to be down there and we're watching it. And, you know, uh, the, the coach that was throwing, I don't know what you call that coach, but he was throwing BP. Yeah. Uh, he saw my kids, you know, and so he came up after he sent through and it, like got a ball and gave them to both of my kids. He made their day, still have the, the baseballs in their room. Nice. But the thing that was crazy is I, I'm standing there and I look next to me and there's this guy, this very familiar looking dude, right? I'm like, man, and he looks over, he's like, hey, my name's Tony. And it's like, hey, Tony, I'm Jeremy. It was Tony LaRusa. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's awesome. And I didn't even realize it till like after. I was like, babe, that was like one of the best managers ever, like ever, ever, ever managed baseball. And she's like, who is that? I'm like, yeah. But it's yeah, just sort never. of funny how you do that stuff. And the, the musicians I got to meet and stuff at the brewery were just. It's legendary. It's such a fun yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, and then there's like the, so like one of my other stories I tell people all the time is uh, <clears throat> I was in Vegas with a, a brewer, a well-known brewery out of San Francisco that rhymes with Schmanker Schmeme. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so we went and we ended up saving money. We went like Tuesday through, we left Saturday or I'm sorry, not, not Thursday through Saturday or something like that. And Friday, we got into town that Thursday night, we went big and went to, and they were like, Hey, we can't have any strip club expenses even if it's just beers, <laughs> obviously you're not expensing lap dances. Uh, but he's like, he's like, uh, no, I can't do any, any, uh, if you could pick up these bar tabs, I'm like, not a problem. So I buy a round of beers for everybody. You know, it's like 40 something dollars. All right, boom. And then I buy a shot for me and Oach and we have a shot and have fun. And then, okay, then we're going to stay for, we're going to camp out. So I bought, they have these massive tubs of beer. There's like 60 beers in so I buy that for like whatever, 400 and something dollars. So on the third charge, it red flags and they call Chase Bank. Meanwhile, my wife and two very small children are at home. Oh, okay. uh, Saturday morning, Chase Bank calls her at like 7 a.m. Hey, just to let you know, we have some suspicious activity. There's three transactions at Larry Flint's Hustler Club. <laughs> I'd like to know these are valid. And so I'm like, just crawling into bed about that time. <laughs> and she texted me or, or left me a voicemail. It's like, hey, just let you know, your card is turned off for three transactions at this strip club. Um, you might want to call and get it turned back on. Hope you're having a lot of fun. Click, <laughs> and it's just like, oh God, I felt like such an ass. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, those the, the, the people you get to meet and the, the experiences you get to do. And I mean, I feel like it's book worthy. You know, obviously mm-hmm. in my world it is, but it's there's some of the best stories around. Um, so before we talk about your transition into Bear, your departure from Lagunitas, um, what I needed, I want to know your favorite beer from New Belgium, favorite beer from Lagunitas, and favorite beer from Bear Republic. Oh my God, that's really hard. You know, I, I think, oh geez, New Belgium, I'd probably say, Abbey was my favorite of all time that we had there, at least made on a consistent basis while I was there. I don't even think they make it anymore. I, I think hope. it's brewery only now. Yeah. Um, that beer is just fantastic. 
if you, if you liked Rochefort 10 or something like that, it was just a beautiful representation. Nice. Um, Lagunitas, that's a, that's a good one because we did so many oddball beers. And there's too. a bunch that's, that have not made the light of day since. Yeah, yeah. But I would probably say the one that probably means the most to me is the Waldo special ale. Nice. Um, that was one of the uh, cool little story. Um, we were doing, a in these days, Greg Meredith had just joined the brewery this spring. And in these days, we would do promos with Tony McGee and he would play music, you know, at the bar. Yeah. Of course, they, they would pay Tony and all it legal. But so we were at the Kingfish Cafe, the old Kingfish Cafe, the small one. It was like a size of a closet, but a very lively place in the East Bay. Great, great owner, great bar, bar staff. The people were great. But we were, it was Greg, Tony, myself. And so we were doing a pint night down there at the Kingfish and Tony was playing a gig. And so after his gig, we were sitting around having a pint and getting ready to sell, settle our tab. And, and Tony like sort of threw down a, a, a challenge. He was like, hey, like we don't have a holiday. You know, we don't have like, what is our holiday for beer? Like what's ours? And, you know, Greg was, we were, Greg and I were sort of talking about like Guinness with, with St. Patty's and, you know, Corona, of course, with Cinco de Mayo. And, and it was sort of funny, you know, we were talking, we were throwing around a bunch of ideas and it, at, and then and there we had to stop the conversation because Tony wanted to come out, go outside and smoke weed. And so we went out and smoked and came back to our table and it was like, Tony, that's our holiday. It's 420. It's got to be April 20th. That's our beer, yeah. beer day. And I shit you not. So we all, we settle our tab, get home safely. But that night, we're all emailing each other and throwing out ideas for April 20 because Tony liked it. And then Tony being, the, you know, he is such a student of culture and pop culture and things like that and in literature. He shared this story of the Waldos and I didn't know what the Waldos was, but he shared the story of these guys from Marin that went to school down in Marin, met every four, every day at 420 to, to go look for a field of weed that they wanted to steal from one of the older brothers and get high, <laughs> you know, and you know, it's even, I think it's high times verified that they're the 420 creators. And, but on that email thread, Ron was, added to it. Ron wasn't at the promo, but he was added to it because he was Ron, you know, he was like, yeah, it's second guy, you know, so, so Ron was added to that thread and it was just funny. We, we had a bunch of fun reading that story that Tony shared with us and just making jokes. And then, you know, the email thread probably stopped about one, one or two in the morning. I shit you not the next day, like about 10 or 11 AM, Ron responds to the email thread. He's like, you guys, you will never guess who I just met at the coffee shop. And it was one of the fucking Waldos. Ron told him about the whole email thread. And that was the start of the Waldos beer, you know? That so that timing is everything. It's amazing. You know, and I think it was the, uh, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the coffee place in Sebastopol. It was like hardcore. Is that the name of the, uh, what's the name of the coffee shop? We used to use it in the Imperial Stout. It was a, uh, um, 
It was. I think I'm it was sorry. hardcore cop. No, no, no. I think it was hardcore. I'm um, spacing the name, but yeah. Sonoma County people know who they are. But Ron was there, and one of the Waldos was in line next to him, and they started talking. That like. If if something's not meant to be, <laughs> yeah, that's divine intervention, right? right? It, it, it was it's just finest. astounding. And then so the Waldos came and brewed the beer, and Jeremy Marshall just tried to make it as stinky and dank as possible. And and you know Jeremy, he can he can do some crazy things with aromas, and he can do anything as yeah, far as I'm and, concerned. And so I think that's probably my favorite Lagunitas beer, just because I happen to be. In, I'm not saying I didn't, I'm not taking credit for anything. I'm just saying I was here at the table. Come on, yeah. that's fun. That's a fun, it's pretty amazing to share. And then, you know, each year, even you know, this year, I was a little sad because we were going through COVID and you didn't see it, you know, and except in the package. And so, yeah, it's, it's even when I'm 95 years old and retired, when I see that beer, it'll still make me smile, you know, it's a great, that's awesome. So uh, tell me about your role there right now. And, and, uh, you know, you departed from Lagunitas and, um, you know, again, the same thing where you felt like the timing was right. Um, what brought you to bear? Because, you know, as growing up in, in this area and, 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 you know, really getting my, uh, kicking the tires on the beer business, you know, you bear public has always been a presence, but never really presented yeah, in the industry. So mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. had this natural success. They do very limited amount of beers and they're happy with that. And all of a sudden they open a new tap room and then they move their brewing facility. And then all of a sudden they're hiring people. And now they're, they're kind of making splash with, uh, they're doing some variety of beers for a change, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's really good to see. And they're making really good beer. You know, uh, I think when it was very similar to when I left new Belgium to go to Lagunitas, you know, when I was the last year, three years of my Lagunitas life, I was traveling so much. I was on an airplane at least once a week. I was probably on the road for two weeks out of each month, you know, and as you have children, you know, yeah. it is. and I was, I was really tired and I was, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. I was like forming habits that I wasn't, I didn't think were healthy for me. And I would say it wasn't like, you know, usage or anything like that. It was just, I was feeling like I was having a few too many drinks when I was on the road. I wasn't eating well and I just didn't feel good, you know, as a person. Yeah. So I started to look around a little bit, you know, I didn't, and to be honest, I was a little bored with my role because it was, it went from running the field marketing group nationally, which included all the different breweries and spaces that we owned in the events to a very focused thing, part and sponsorships where I had to ID all like create budgets and, you know, try and make sense of it. But I was just tired to be frank. And so I started looking around again and I was like, I, I want to work somewhere smaller, somewhat independent. I, I spoke to a, a, almost went to work for a company in San Diego. You know, they have like gargoyles and stuff like that. <laughs> you have some McDonald's with their new CEO. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, I, it didn't work out because I, I was just going to be on the plane again, every two weeks, every week, doing the same thing. And so, I just, it, it just when I met the Norgros, when I met, when I met with Peter, uh, and 
just sort of got to know them a little bit and it presented a challenge that, and I say this with no disrespect because I, I love the people at Bear and I love what we do, but presented a challenge to myself that I'd never been able to have yet in, in beer. And, you know, I joined as the marketing director in 2018, fall of 2018. Um, a year and a half later, I was asked to take over the sales team as well and handle all nice. this. But uh, it's tiring, but, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, it's fun because you can't take and I always used to kid with Noel, my old marketing boss at, at Lagunitas, like you, I'm a sales guy. So don't expect me to always be a marketing person because I, I understand the importance of selling beer. <laughs> you know, yeah. not always about an ad or looking cool. It's like, how does this new beer for us? So Exactly. But, you know, um, so at Bear, it, it's fantastic because we're a small company, you know, we're, we're where I think we're number 49 on the top 50 brewers, which is great. Yeah. I mean, so awesome to be in there, but our volume is so small. We're under a hundred thousand barrels a year. We have probably 40 people that work at the production facility. And so like I get to take part in, and I'm not, it's not me steering. I'm just, just saying I'm at the table, as you said, in the water conversation, I get to be at the table when it comes to production in, I've really helped steer our last two years portfolio and I really get to help steer the brands that we come where we want to go to market with them. And, and, and so there is so much that Lagunitas and new Belgium has taught me to get to this point. And even though it's a little smaller scale, but without like my history, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing with bear. And so it's wonderful to have people to that believe in my ability to listen to me, even though I'm not always right, but I always say something, you know that Ben, yeah. but, but it is, it, it's sort of cool when you think about it, like Joe Menetries of the world and Joe Whitney's of the world at New Belgium who had confidence in me, Dave Makins, and then you get to Lagunitas, the Todd Stevensons, the Tony McGee's, the Greg Meredith's that always knew I was going to work hard and try. And they would just sort of steer that, nervous energy or anxious energy that yeah may not well, they know they'd get a good day at work because there's a lot of people yeah. that, that can tell you how much they know and they don't give you that same effort. yeah yeah and that's it's a huge like, thing and it's it's also too it has to be good to know you know where you came from you went from such you know a small brand that became large and then another small brand that became large you've already navigated this road twice so on the off chance that bear does start to click in to go from 49 to say 25 you've helped navigate that road before you kind of seen the pitfalls, what has worked and what hasn't. And especially as volatile as the beer market is today, uh, you know, you can definitely be a, a strong person in the advisory council and be like, Hey, I think we should slow this down. And remember we, our core values are this and not this. And yeah, it sounds great to have your, you know, your stuff on a, I mean, I'll, I'll look for example is, I'm not going to talk too much trash, but there's a, a company Four Point that has a huge sponsorship. As soon as Anchor got bought out by Sapporo, they're out of the giant stadium. Four Point went in. Four Point can't pay their bills all the time, and it's tough to be in, that, especially in this position where we're in today. I'm talking when I say volatility in the market this is before COVID. Mm-hmm. There's so many people trying the next best thing; it's hard to be relevant. Yeah. But yeah. Um, you know, you guys make a great beer. I've 
always been a big fan of Racer 5. Not always my go-to, but it's a good, it's a really solid balanced beer. And it's so different. I feel like the Bear Republic Racer 5 drinker and the Lagunitas IPA drinker are the equivalent of a Bud Light Coors Light drinker. They I think both, you're right. I mean, it's, I they, right. yeah. you cannot offer one or the other one. They're like, I'm not fucking drinking that. Yeah. There's it, no way they won't. Yeah. It's offended. like a personal attack. <laughs> yeah, you go, oh, I have an IPA. And they're like, oh, it's not a racer. I don't want it. Yeah. And it's so yeah. weird. It's the same thing, but they have the same passion, which is obviously, you know, at the end of the day, in your backyard, that's what you want. Um, I mean, do you see anything? I mean, I, I'm not looking for a spoiler alert here, but anything, anything big or something coming out of Bear? I mean, are we going to have more cases of the Peter Brown tribute beer? Are we, what, what's the, what's going to be the, what's the, what's the next move? Best thing. You would be so surprised at how many people ask us about Peter Brown and hop rod rye and stuff like that, that, you know, um, you know, no, <laughs> I'll just put it this way. Maybe at the brew pub. Uh, next. Nice. You know, uh, this year, uh, it's, it's been interesting because working with R- Ricardo and Peter, these guys have been brewing beer for a long time. And, and it's fun to be able to like, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, but to see them look at styles that they would probably not drink personally when they first see it. They take a sip of it and then they start looking around the market and they see how popular some of these styles get. And then they, but they start to drink it a little and they're like, oh yeah they reluctantly say that's pretty good, right? Yeah. So it, it's so awesome to see how the portfolio is sort of adapting. You, you sort of alluded to it. We're, we're at a point in California where, you know, during COVID, we lost a huge chunk of our business because of draft. Huge. Yeah. And if we weren't a 25-year-old company with good chain distribution here in Northern California, I don't know what would happen. And so it really forced me to look at, you know, on this on the steering the sales side, it's like, we've got to stay re- relevant in the chain world where we have that solid distribution every day at the Safeway or the Rayleigh's of the world and whatnot. But we're small enough where we can also compete in this other arena where you have like those four pack cans, you know, with our friends. And, and I say this with respect because I love them, like Cooper Ridge house and all of these great brewers all over California doing these four pack things were not too large for people. They don't, they're not surprised if they see us putting our toe in that arena, do that a little bit. And I think it, what it's doing, it's creating a little bit of excitement for folks that aren't necessarily on that racer five train, you know, where, you know, and I, I love, we're a, a legacy brand with Racer 5. It's an old brand. And so right. it's not necessarily a beer that's going to get new drinkers to a brewery. So we have to dip our toes in this very eclectic area. So we're, we're going to do a, a great double IPA series next year. We have a, a series that we've been trying to create and get better at. It's called the Challenge Series, where it's really modern ales, really juicy and yeah, you know, I think I, I, I hate say, to use those terms, you know, but yeah, but you know, we all do. Yeah. Um, I think I had one of the cha- like challenge series number three or four mm-hmm. uh, early on. We had it on the podcast last year. I want to say okay, even that okay. long ago. I think yeah, we were doing it every forty-five days for a while, and that oh, got wow. hard. <laughs> you know, well, yeah, that's and labels and, 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 and well, and label approval and everything else. Yeah, is a nightmare. 
to begin. Yeah, so we're doing that once a quarter now, and then we added a double IPA series because we felt that, you know, we got to, we like the big smack you in the face, hop forward bombs, right? And so yeah. we celebrate that. And then we also have a really cool stout series that we're doing as well, where it's, they're going to be big Imperial Russians. Nice. Imperial Russian stouts with high ABV, but it's going to be something, it's going to be a sipper. You're going to share the pint or you're going to drink the whole thing. If you drink two, you better get a cab, but <laughs> yeah, you better not have any plans that night. Yeah. And then we have a couple more surprises up our sleeves with like some in the awesome. Open that we've done for a while that's going to be put in a bottle but i'll just sort of wait on that one i don't want to that's know. good and you know if anytime you uh want to have a pre-release or early release you know there's a guy who has a podcast that does beer i love testing. that yeah and also he's also on the, he does radio friday mornings on the radio i do reviews i love well, it so just <laughs> well, you let know, us know that'll be that's been one of the challenging things with covid because i took i was asked to take the sales group over right at the just before covid Get my feet underneath me. Oh, I feel good. I'm right at the margin. And then COVID. You're like, oh, God, how do we keep our lights on now? So you just, we just made, I feel that we've sort of lost our sharing of new products list because we just didn't have the time. And well, no, no you got to, you got to make sure everything, you know, it's the, it's the, the Chinese acrobats spinning plates, right? And we yeah, just, you got to right. make sure no plates fall right now, especially yep. right now. The, the, the plate that keeps the lights on, the plate that keeps the, the employees going so there's no yeah. layoffs, the, yep. the plate that just, you know, just in general, so you don't fall and lose distribution. I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough game during the best of times. It's even mm -hmm. an impossible game during the worst of times. We know there's going to be, there's going to be mass exodus of brands, small and large from this. Um, and it's, it's going to be unfortunate, but hopefully we can see like the cream rises at the top and we get a better selection of the best beers instead of a lot of selection of mediocre beers because there's a yeah. lot of mediocre beer out there we know that I, i'm really nervous about covid and the future of it and you know as we look at the news the last few days how the cases are so big in yeah. the country and you know what happens in the winter you know i, I just wonder if if there's another I, knock on wood right if there's another lockdown what does that do for breweries? You know, I mean, I, I, right. I just, that a lot of people made it through the springtime. If it happens again, what happened? You know, I don't, I think it'll be even worse. So. Oh, I, well, I, the second, you know, second time is really, cause people are, I mean, I think for the restaurant industry, and this is my quick two cents and we'll wrap this up. You know, the, the restaurant industry has learned if you had a, a model and a concept that could adapt and change, you were okay because you, now you learned it's just a new way mm -hmm. of controlling your costs. You now have yep. to, you know, you're staffing less, but you're putting more out and you have to obviously change your your cost to cover all your to-go stuff. But now DoorDash and all these different companies have definitely made your your net, you've got to be able to cast your net better. But with, you know, with a production company, right? So you're not, there, you know, those are the, the restaurants are making food based upon what the supplies they get. Whereas, you know, you guys can't make a beer if you are out of that hop or you are out of that grain, or you cannot get your labels, bottles, cans to the in time, that, that stuff's not going out. And that's, yeah. And especially now you've lost the ability to put it into kegs. You've lost the ability to put it in some packages because of what's selling and what's not. It's, and it's one of those things where this is a, now, you know, there's, 
thousands, ten, tens of thousands of breweries in the nation facing the same problem. And it's just, it's, you know, if there is another breakout, I agree, it's going to become way worse for manufacturing companies. Mm-hmm. Beer falls into that category. Just, just draft beer alone in that first shutdown. We, you know, we're, we were in a position where we could, like with our distributors, we had, I don't want to, I'm not going to say the number, but it was a large number of draft products we had in our 20, I think we're 24 states of yeah. country. And we, like the Norgros, they didn't have to do this. They stepped up 50% we paid of all draft that coded during COVID through all of our partners. That took, that didn't come out of the breweries like cash flow. That came out of Rich and Tammy. And to do that, and as I'm calculating these billbacks that I'm seeing and our partners, our distributor partners were so kind to us, you know, because we stepped up to them and we're their partner during the tough time. It's amazing what they're doing right now in the, in retail. Right. We're, we're not the largest company like brewery in some of these houses, but it's amazing to see the handles we're getting back because of that, you know, so yeah. for you, we're not going to let you sit on this beer and just eat and it. it. But also too, it, together, spe- you know? yeah, it speaks to the, the relationship. It speaks to so much. And it goes back to the, what we talked about earlier. Sometimes business isn't being done uh, over a meeting or an interview or closing a handle. It's just having the relationship. Maybe it's yep. staying up till two in the morning, um, you know, doing things you shouldn't be doing, uh, or, it's, but at the same time, it's like, that's a bonding experience. This is yeah. now that same bond in a different way. And it definitely yep. affects everybody and everyone can identify with it. And it's a great step to just understanding like, Hey, this is, a, this is truly a community business. We are looking out for the better, betterhood of everybody, not just our employees, but all the people that are, that touch our products along the way, the, the stockers, merchandisers of the distributor, mm-hmm. And people at the at the grocery store, people at the liquor store, it's a it's a it's a, it casts a very wide net and touches a lot of hands. So it's good to see that they stepped up. It's good to see. I mean, we always know they've been a community partner, but you know, I my only advice to them, they need a face because Richard Norgrove could walk by me in the grocery store and I wouldn't know who he is, <laughs> and that's okay for him. But it's one of those things where I think there's an identity crisis with Bear. Everyone understands Racer Five, and that's awesome. But I just well, want to know. I want. I want one some, thing. One thing I like to say to our my coworkers is like we all have a face for radio, so <laughs> great voice. But that's yeah, yeah, our face. No, you know that's why you started a podcast. Started. Yeah, <laughs> we've been working hard on that. To uh, to be to be honest, we um uh, we t- just redid our website, which is really fun, and we actually you know we've joined the 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 future. You know we we recorded some video that we're posting on our website and stuff where it's modern. Yeah. So going to see some stuff from Roger, our brewmaster, talking about Racer 5 and Through the Haze. And so we're getting there. It, it, that's the hard part because, you know, my two stops before, our marketing departments were the size of our production facility. And so for us to like create a video, there is some, I, I created some training videos on some beers. And it's just so funny. I'm using my DSLR, creating a video, and I'm learning how to edit on my Yeah. Often, you know, and so, but we actually, with our website, we've done some stuff with some, some local producers. So we're hoping as we can start to kick that out more, it'll be nice to have like some, some visuals, because I, I do think that, you know, this, you said it, relationships, people want a relationship with the beer they're drinking. 
And that relationship is not necessarily with the liquid. It's with the people that make the liquid and make it possible. And they like to hear stories. They like to put a face to a name. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to start doing that. And like I said, if we weren't also damn ugly, we would have been doing <laughs> No. <laughs> nice. All right. So, uh, uh, plug the website, give me any social media you want to help, uh, publish and, and, and get out there. I mean, we have, well, we have at least 17 listeners now, so that's, Hey, you know what, that, that is awesome. I think we have, we might have that many followers, but you know, uh, <laughs> verypublic.com and our handle is at very public. And so, Perfect. uh, I think, yeah, our handle is at very public on Insta and, and Facebook it's under very public brewing company so come check perfect you know we'll try to make you laugh we'll try to well our number one thing is to make good beer and share it yeah and then also production facility uh or i'm sorry the tasting room uh in uh Roanoke park obviously yeah, offering uh, it's a great patio while the the wind and smoke are not upon us necessarily yeah. you could go out there they have a great patio uh and that's in Roanoke park we have a great tent coming um, just because we're uncertain of if indoor dining is going to happen in right. Central County. So we, we have a, a tent that's going to cover the patio this winter. We'll have heating. You know, it'll be a, a good space that you can come drink some beers. Nice. Have, you know, try and try and have normal life, but safe. <laughs> you know, the key right is safe. Well, I appreciate you just uh, not some time for me today. And uh, ben, I finally got it done. Ben, you're and- the best, buddy. I try. Let's have a beer at the uh, at the uh, Runner Park spot soon. I would love to, man. All right, brother. Thanks again. Good to see you. All right, I'll talk to you later. Go Bears!